Good evening and welcome once again to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. Before we begin, I would like to ask the Lord's assistance in the preaching and in the hearing of the word. Holy Father, we come before you asking that you would give testimony to your word, that Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and may the everlasting word become clear to us. We ask, Lord, that this wisdom be given to us, that we might learn to value who you are, that we might learn to be good stewards and good servants. Help us, Lord, to be your people. We ask that you would be our friend like Abraham and that we walk with you like the two on the road to Emmaus. We ask, Lord, that we would also serve you the way all your people have done. Receive our worship tonight, Father, we ask. Receive our prayers, our hymns. And now, Father, as we sit to hear your word, we pray that you would also receive our adoration. We pray these things for the glory of our Christ. Amen. Amen. Tonight I'm preaching on the Psalm 19. And I plan to break this particular psalm up in two to, to preach it. Uh, part one today and uh, part two on another time, the next time I preach on the psalm. Psalm 19 only has 14 verses, and so we'll be looking at the first six verses tonight. This is a, a just a wonderful, wonderful psalm. It's, when I read this to you, I want you to, to think of the beauty of the poetry and the way it's built and the way it was delivered. But of course, it's going to be the truth of Scripture. This is going to be God teaching us some wonderful things. But the way it's designed is just a marvel. Uh, please hear the Word of God. To the choir master, this is to be sung, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words where voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, and the righteous altogether. More to be desired than they, they are than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them, have, let them not have dominion over me then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We're looking at the first half of this beautiful psalm in that it speaks of the revelation of God. And there are two types of revelation that are being shown to us here. One of the revelation is the natural world or the creation that God has. We can see the beauty of it in the heavens. But the other part is the scriptural, that is the, the revelation that God has given to us in his word. And so there are two types of revelation, that which is natural and that which is revealed. And tonight we'll be looking at the first six verses about how God has revealed himself in the creation. So let me give you the doctrine that we're trying to achieve tonight. It is this. The creation speaks clearly of the existence of God. It provides a constant witness to his glory, his wisdom, his power, his knowledge, his everywhere presence. Now these facts will help the Christian endure to the very end, if you allow them to, if you look and see, if you examine the creation. But these facts also give witness against those who deny that they must give an account to an almighty God. So, there is going to be no better aid in understanding the scriptures than the Holy Spirit opening our understanding of how the Almighty is the Creator God who sovereignly reigns all things. So, the first six verses. I would like to read them again. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end, end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So we can see that the creation is being offered here as having a voice. It's having the ability to speak to us. This is one of the most beautiful hymns, I've, I mean, uh, of the Psalms that, that we can imagine. There are actually seven of these hymns in our hymnals based upon this psalm. C.S. Lewis said of this, This is the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Uh, it's because it's the way it's just beautifully written, the way it manages the truth so easily understood. It provides for us an ample reason to praise God by, by us going out and taking a look at what he has created, how God has revealed himself in the creation. The psalm itself can be divided into three parts. Verses 1 through 6, we see that what we can learn from the creation of God. The general revelation. And the rest up, um, let's see, down to verse number uh, 11, we have the special revelation. What we can know of God from the scriptures. And finally, the last section gives us what we can learn from this. We can learn that God makes no mistakes. We find that our deliverance from sin cannot be by our own strength, but by the, by the power of God, that He can set us free. We learn that uh, He is to examine us. The all-knowing God examines us and that he becomes our rock and our redeemer. Now, the first thing I want us to get out of the way right now is to us to come to grips with the idea that poetry is poetry. And I'm not going to say that all of this is symbolic, but I am going to say that 
there's a large portion of metaphor here and personification. And what do I mean by that? It means this, that when David spoke of the creation, and especially of the heavens, he says that the heavens has a voice. Well, I've never heard the sun or the moon or the stars speak to me, but they do have a message. You can look at them and know that God has created them, and that's what they're saying to you. I have a creator. I have a design. I am not here by accident. It speaks. It's a metaphor, but it's also a personification. The heavens do not have tongues, and nor, nor do they have teeth. They do not have a mouth. But the writer has given it a, um, shall we say, a voice like a person, but it's also given the creation a motive and a purpose to achieve, and that is to be a witness to the testimony of who our God truly is. And so when we look at this, we must understand that even though it is a metaphor, and even though we're looking at a personification, the point is this, are we listening and can we hear what the message is that is being spoken to us by the creation? So, Spurgeon says this about this particular psalm. He says that the heavens and the earth and the sea is a big book. Now, James Boyce says the very same thing. As a matter of fact, I, I've given this sermon a title, which I, I got from James Boyce because I thought it was very clever. He says there's a big book and there's a little book. The big book speaks to you about who God is, and that's all of creation. It's a very big book. It's enormous. It's immense. But it speaks volumes. Now, the little book is this book. Now, it's not little in that it's not very important. It is extremely important, excessively important. But it is something that it is, it is small in that we can carry it in our hands, read it in our minds, and put it into our hearts. But the other big book, it has its purpose, and the little book has its purpose. Uh, you'll see what the purposes are very easily, because when we look at the heavens, and we look at the earth, and we look at the sea, this is what Spurgeon says. He says, in the big book, you got three pages. That's all you have. Three pages and one great big book. The pages of the heavens. And boy, what a big page that is, isn't it? The page of all the earth. The page of everything under the sea. And what does that remind you of? It, you know, the first thing that popped in my head was the idea that in the, in, the, in, in the covenant to Moses, in the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment is this, do not make an image of me, of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. It's another way of saying, do not think that anything that I've created, all of creation, anything is me. It's not me. Did not we have a study hour this morning when Art was telling us about Habakkuk? Is that how you say it? Habakkuk? Not verse, you know, chapter 2. And it says that these idols made of gold, what are they going to do? The weaknesses of them and so on. And we have to understand that there is a big difference between God and everything else. You see, you have to understand that there is just two things. God and everything else. And they are completely different. They are absolutely, without doubt, the biggest difference. Because sometimes people get that confused. They look at creation and they say, oh my goodness, look at this. 
And the greatest example in this psalm is going to be the sun. The sun has been pointed out to be one specific thing that people, uh, and of course David is going to say, it's like a bridegroom. It's like a strong man. And he rises up and he knows what he's going to do. And he has a course that he runs from the beginning all the way to the end. And uh, well, that's, that's a nice metaphor, isn't it not? It tells us something, but it also gives us a lot of other things to think about. But the very idea about the creation, we must say to ourselves, nothing in there that we can touch or see or smell can tell us who God is. But it can tell us a lot about God. His power, His majesty, the one with whom we have to deal. And so this big book and little book idea is this. We cannot tell that God is holy by looking at the sun and the moon and the stars. But we can tell that if he is holy, he's the almighty holy one. We don't know anything about the creation when it comes to justice. But we know that the almighty God is a God to contend with. The heavens themselves cannot be silent. Their voice cannot be stopped. Anybody notice the weather on the way here? You go outside, you get in the car. Boy, it's a nice day, isn't it? You get that air coming into your lungs. It's just clean and everything is good about it. But you know that the very atmosphere, the very heavens themselves, even the heavens around us or the heavens in the sky or the heavens far beyond the sun, all these things are magnificent. But you know, when you go outside, we're just the, the wonder of it has escaped us. Because we've become deadened to it. We see it every single day. But there is a tremendous wonder about it. Have you ever said to yourself, Oh, just breathing in the air, God is giving me the oxygen to leave, even live. And every breath we have, we can thank God for it. And yet, we have learned to deaden it. We have learned to suppress the beauty and awesome of the creation. And we've forgotten to thank God for every breath we have. If we lift our eyes up to everything around us, and it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, the sun shining in our face. You can just reach out and touch the hymnal in front of you. You can reach and touch everything and, and just say to yourself, how did God do this? How did God create everything? Everything is just, it's just a marvel to our understanding. When we think and lift our eyes up to, to the sky, we see clouds we see the beauty of the sky we see everything in the sky we we see the sun it's a marvel we see the moon we see the stars at night sometimes we just fail to see the magnificence and the enormity of it god has made all these things all kinds of matter elements molecules i mean the immensity of god's creation is just absolutely mind-boggling I mean, we don't even think about light, but light itself, where would we be without light? And yet God has used it in the Gospels and with, the, with our Lord Jesus Christ becoming flesh, how he said, I am the light of the world. And yet we don't even think about it, do we? Light is a magnificent thing, and God just spoke it into existence. It travels. You know, you know how fast light is? We just, you might as well just think of it as instantaneous. It just doesn't, it just even have to travel anywhere. It just is everywhere. But it actually has a speed, 186,000 miles a second. 
Now, I know you don't drive your cars around in miles per second. We don't have those type of gauges. So for those of you that want to know the miles per hour, it's 671 million miles per hour. Okay, you won't see that on a speed sign around here, will you? That is a very fast speed. If you turned on a flashlight and had the ability to have that light curve around the Earth, it would go around the Earth seven and a half times in one second. That's how fast light is. And yet, God has created worlds and galaxies so far away, it takes years and years and years for the light to even reach us. The enormity of it is mind-boggling. And yet, God spoke it into existence. Of all the things that He's done, creating all things by the power of His Word, everything about the creation, all the different things that we'll be talking about, if you set them on a scale, like you were in, in science class, remember back in high school? You know, there was a science class where you had these little scales and you could measure out the chemicals on this side and put a little weight over here and this and that. If you put the entire creation on one side of that scale and put God on the other side, everything, everything would be like the dust. Like the dust you see floating in the air that when it goes on the scale, it doesn't even move it at all. Everything that God has created compared to God is nothing. We cannot compare God to any, to any of his creation. We can learn from it, but he is not it. He is, we, we should not ever have the idea, oh, those Egyptians, how clever were they, the sun god? Oh, the Babylonians, how clever were they? All the different ideas of who God are. And yet, the very first commandment God gave in the Mosaic Covenant, don't make any image of me, from anything, from the heavens, from the earth, from the sea. All of them. Do not make an image of them. Keep that in mind. I have a, a practical application that I want to share with you about that. Did you know that the main illustration provided in this is the sun? And that's probably one of the main things that people want to make a god out of? Why, the astronomy or that's, that's wrong, more like the astrology of ancient religions is based upon the magnificent creation of the stars and the moons, their travels, uh, the circuits uh, of where they go and how they're predictable, how people can say, oh, it's time for the sun to come up. They know exactly when it's going to come up, when the moon comes up, the cycles of the moon, the travel of the stars. People can get in their ships and travel around with a sextant knowing where the stars are at because they're so predictable, because God made them that way. And yet of all these things, men forget the enormity of God's creation and start worshiping the creation instead of the Creator. That's how silly men are. The idea that the sun is the main focus of the analogy, or of the even the allegory that's going to be taught to us, in that he's a, uh, a bridegroom, and that he's a strong man, is this, that the sun is actually almost all there is to the solar system. Do you know that? There's all, there's all kind of big planets. you got Jupiter, you got Saturn. Did you know that it would take, if you could take the sun and hollow it out, it would take 1.3 million Earths to fill it up. That's a big sun. That's a small Earth. One science book describes it like this. The solar system is actually the sun with a little bit of debris going around it. You know, just a little bit of dust 
going around the sun. But do you see how God has chosen the weak things, the beggarly things, the unimportant things, and he put upon this earth, in this solar system, the Garden of Eden, man. The history of redemption centered around Christ on this speck in a little sun in a small part of the Milky Way, one of the many galaxies of the earth. God has created all these things. And yet they speak of what? The power and grandeur of God. That's their voice. And they speak it every single second, every nanosecond of every day. They never stop speaking. They're always there. And who can hear them? Spurgeon put it this way. He said, of all the voices that speak from the heavens of the existence of God, it falls upon deaf ears. And why? Because they are deaf morally. They can see the greatness, but they deny the one who is the great one who made it. The heavens declare some of the very basic truths. They show you the handiwork. The handiwork. Now, isn't that, it's almost, the word is almost quaint. The idea that you would describe the creations of all things, handiwork. Like, this is what he does because he's handy. Because he's good with his hands. Because this is what God does. But this is what everything screams out. Every chair in here, everything, every, the stars, everything cries out this. I have a maker I have been designed. I am beyond your comprehension. And there is a God who made me. And you need to know that. I witness against those who do not believe. And I witness for those who want to know the power of their God. Do not think that the creation is only to be a witness against unbelievers. It is here for us. It is a big book for us to read. It is a wonderful thing to get to know the Almighty who holds you in His hand. You are the one at the end of the psalm that says, He is my Redeemer and He is my rock. Look what He's done. Who can go against Him? Who can have the power that does all this? What kind of power can create all this world, the entire universe? What type of power is this? Who has the knowledge to design and to build and then to plan. Who has the wisdom? Was there anyone, is there anyone capable to have even been there to offer God and say, excuse me, may I offer a little bit of advice? May I give you a pointer? May I give you just an, an option? There is none besides God. There is God, and there is everything else. Who was there to give him permission to do what he did? Was there someone above authority of God? Did he have to fill out an application to say, I'm ready to do another creation. I'm ready to create a universe. Where is the bureaucracy? There's none. None. Our God is God. He is the Almighty. Nothing can hinder him in any way. His voice that he has put in his creation is a witness for and against. Those who have no spiritual ears, all of these things fall on their deaf ears. But they are still a witness 
Now I ask everyone, especially those who cannot believe that God is a creator God, and there are Christians who say that evolution formed everything. I don't know why they do that. But did he create you? Did he not, does he not now see you? Does he not now hear you? Our God is the Almighty. Now that's verse number one. Let's go to verse number two. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Now, the main point of this verse simply is this. The testimony provided by the heavens continues right from the beginning to the very end. It's not as though there is only one message and you have to read the same one over and over again. No. Have you ever, um, as a young person, heard songs on the radio and you really liked that song and it was done by a group and they never write another one? They call that one-hit wonders. One-hit wonders. Or a flash in the pan. That's not our God. He doesn't do just one creation one time and then you have to go back, oh, I've seen the creation. Yeah, I've seen the sun. Same thing. Every single day, there's something new for you to know. Something new. There's something that is not known all the time. We cannot fathom all that God has shown us. God has made us to learn each day at a time. What a wonderful thing that God should give us days. That's a good idea. That's a tremendous idea. Did not our Lord say each day's trouble is sufficient for that day alone? Well, then we should approach that. We should approach our lives one day at a time and how God can, can guide us through this day. This day, give us our daily bread. Thank you for this day alone. Every day that passes on reveals the tremendous history of God's creation, all that he has done. Every single day that passes is nothing more than another thread woven upon his tapestry. And what a tremendous tapestry it is. One day it'll be completed. God will fold it up and put it away and there will be a new heaven and new earth. And this tremendous creation that has accomplished wonderful things shall be the foundation or the cause of the new creation. So the creation never stops speaking. Day to day it pours out the speech. Night to night it reveals knowledge. Each night, every night, you'll go home. If all goes as planned, no doubt, you'll probably have a bed to lay in. You'll lay down and you'll close your eyes. And you'll have this short little death of a few hours called sleep. And then you'll wake up, you'll open your eyes, and there's a new day. Something that God has given you. Another day to witness, to see the handiwork of God, to understand his power. For the Christian, it is a wonderful experience. The Christian each day is a splendid opportunity to say, this is the day that the Lord has given me. May I serve him. May I then, at the very end of the day, when I plan to close my eyes, I will take my rest and so we live our lives for his glory, but we rest in Christ. We rest in his providence. And each day is like that. But what about the unbeliever? What is a day like for the unbeliever? Every day for the unbeliever is one less day to live. That's it. They only have so many days. And at the end of that day, you cross that off. 
That's one more day I'll never get back. I'm down one day. That's it. For the unbelieving, when they go to sleep and it's dark and they close their eyes, it's just a foretaste of eternal darkness. But not for us, is it? Every single day is a day to live to God's glory, resting in the power of God. Verse number three. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. So the main idea here is this. Every aspect of the creation has its own voice. If you look and you listen, its own testimony of the glory of God, and everyone may hear this voice. Have you ever considered that everything that you see around you is undisputed, undisputed proof that there is an almighty God ruling all things? You just cannot dispute this. Now, you may have people say, well, I deny it. Their denial does nothing to the proof. It remains. The voice remains. The complexity of everything around us has a voice. Complexity. We, we, we as human beings, can create something that's complex, and people look at the instructions. I can't figure out these instructions. I don't know how to do this. And yet we drink a glass of water, and we have no idea the complexity of the molecules and how it's done, how it's created, and we just drink it, and we don't even say, thank you, Lord. Everything about this life is complex. If you just consider what the Lord said at the beginning, he created everything, every creature with its seed in itself. And yet even now we have just started to understand the complexity of DNA, of genes, of how the seed is within everyone. Even now, the complexity is mind-boggling. And the more we learn of the complexity, the more we understand the design that is in everything. My goodness, the vastness of everything. Why, sometimes I just look out in my backyard and I see the grass growing and I say, man, I got a big yard. I got to mow all of that. And yet, we look at the sky. Oh, it's as big as the sky. Beyond that, well, who can travel to the sun? It's 63 million miles away. We'll never be able to do that. Look at the universes around us, the galaxies and so on. It's very complex. It's very mind-boggling. And yet, if we turn inward, the very smallest of things. Oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna make some biscuits. I'm gonna put some flour in a pan and put some grease in there. And my mother used to say this. Now make sure all the flour, you know, all the all the grease is coated. And I would tell her, Oh, you mean all the flour is coated? No, no, no. Make sure the grease is coated. I said, I don't even know how to do that. You gotta, you gotta do so much of it. That's too much. That's way too much detail. No, the particles beyond that, it goes down to elements goes down to molecules, goes down to atoms, it goes down to electrons, neutrons, protons, it goes down to sub-particles, you know, subatomic particles. It goes down to where we don't even know how everything works. There seems to be space in between electrons and, and protons that is vast in distance in that size because the particles themselves are so small compared to the distance between the middle of, them, of an atom and the outside circling electron. It's like, what in the world? How do we... How is this so complex? Why does it have to be like this? God, it's nothing to God. It's the dust on the side of the scale that doesn't even weigh compared to God. He doesn't break a sweat thinking about it. Thinking about things that we cannot comprehend. The uniqueness of everything. Every creature, everything so different and yet 
They have similarities that cannot be denied, and yet they're independence. What kind of an ecosystem did God create where you can't, if you, if, if you do away with this bug, which we don't like, well, then this doesn't get pollinated. You know, the bees themselves. What a tremendous addition that we should have fruit. But we don't have fruit without bees, do we? Even those pesky, awful fire ants. What would happen if we got rid of them? Well, besides me rejoicing, who knows what would happen? Maybe some other creature would say, well, there's no fire ants to kill me, so I'm going to take over. I don't know the interdependency of all the ecosystems that God has created. It's far beyond my understanding. And what does the world do in light of all this? What do they answer with this? Well, there are certain rules of debate. When you don't have a good answer to a debate, what you can do is call the other side a bad name. That usually wins in a debate. That usually convinces someone, well, I never thought of that. That's, that's a good point. He, he does look like, you know, like that. You can always mock the other side. You see, the world has a way of claiming to be scientific when they're not. God created everything. You don't get more science than that. He has done all these things. And yet the other side, the side that says, you all the voices that's out there? Uh, no, no, no. That's just an accident. That's an accident. But you know what? Listening to you speak is dangerous. And so we will censor your thinking. We will cut out your thinking. Now, that is what the world does. They suppress the knowledge of God. They push it down. Verses 4 and 5. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Well, the main idea here is that we have a testimony of the glory of God and his strength, and the best Shall we say, the heart of this is this, that a voice is given to the sun in an allegory. Now, don't be, don't be confused here. God is not saying that the sun is, is a god. No, he isn't. He says it's, it's like a bridegroom. It's like a strong man. So he wants to us... The very interesting thing about this is that David, is, who is the writer of this, knows the history of Egypt, of course. And, you know, even the very beginning of the covenant of Moses, where, where Moses was given the Ten Commandments, uh, God said this before the very first commandment. Well, actually, it's part of the first commandment. I am the Lord your God, the one that brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt. What is the main God in Egypt? Ra, the sun god. He comes up, he rules today. Egyptians worship Ra. They worship the sun. But what does God say? The sun is something I created. It speaks. I have a designer. I have a creator. And the sun is like a bridegroom. I've given him power to rule the day. I've given the moon power to rule the night. He rises up like someone that's going to greet his bride. And who would this bride be? 
Who does he shower his love upon? Who does he shine upon? Who does he give his warmth to? The earth. And how does it not teach us as Christians, maybe not, an un, maybe not someone that doesn't know God, who says, well, it's just the sun. It reminds me of the one who rises up every morning to shed his light and love upon me, to claim me and to own me, to give me life, to give me warmth, to give me all that I need. The bridegroom, our Christ, that's what it reminds me of. He rises up early. He rises up because he has a plan. And what is that plan? Well, he's going to get married. He's a man that has a love. He's a man that has a, a, a heart's desire to come and embrace his bride. And he comes up early in the morning and he goes all the way to the end until the night comes. From this course to this course. The scriptures is very clear in the way it describes it. The beginning of the rise the east, all the way to the west, from the beginning to the end. This is the way the sun rules this day. It's a very powerful image. It's a very powerful creation. Man, I mean, just looking up at the sun, I don't know what people used to think about it, but what in the world? I mean, I mean, we listen to the scientists, and even now I go on, I, I, I suppose that's, that's hold, you know, large enough to hold... Uh, 3.1 billion Earths, and I suppose it's 93 million miles away. I suppose it takes 11, you know, nine minutes for the sun's light to get here. I guess it. I guess it's true. I cannot see why. I, I suppose it is. It's a. It's magnificent. However, me just looking at it is a powerful, powerful. I'm just. This is beyond my comprehension. And yet God tells me, this is like the bridegroom. And the first thing I think about is, you know, John the Baptist saying, hmm, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I think about the Song of Solomon. Oh, the one who loves his, his, his great love. All these things, this is what this is like. It's like a strong man. A strong man about to run a race. Now, when I think of a strong man, I think of a man that when he's ready to get up and start, it's someone that says, I've practiced this. I know what I'm doing. I have the strength. I will finish my course because I have studied the course. I know where to run. I know that I can achieve this. And he starts off and he doesn't stop until he ends. From the beginning to the end. A strong man that cannot be stopped. A strong man that cannot be hindered. He's consistent, reliable. He has a finish line to achieve. Nothing can complete this strong man from finishing his course. And that's the way the creation is. The creation will continue until the last thread of the tapestry has been put on. We don't have to worry about Putin and we don't have to worry about anything else. If the end is coming, that's God's end. That's when the strong man ends. That's when the bridegroom is ready to be married. That's when the son says, I've finished my days. So, this great image that we have speaks to us that there is a plan, that there is a purpose, that there is a God who has made all these things for us, and it's unfathomable in its power. Last verse for not for tonight is verse number six. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuits to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. 
the Son itself, like Christ, who is the one who is the strong man, who is the one who is the bridegroom. Nothing can hide from his heat. Reminds me of the verses we're going to be reading in the book of the Apocalypse, the Revelation, how God has given the sun the power to scorch some men. And yet, in the new heavens and the new earth, the Lamb is the light thereof. None can escape, or nothing is hidden from its heat. The sun will perform its functions until God is done with it. All the providence and purposes will be fulfilled, and it will must run to its course. God rules sovereignly over all things. Now, I'm going to hurry a little bit. I have two applications of which I want to provide to you tonight. The first application is this. Remember how I told you that there is the big book? In other words, all of creation. It's like a great big book. All of creation. The big book has a very loud voice if you have an ear to hear. It shows the power and the majesty of God, but it does fall on deaf ears and blind eyes spiritually. It does. We must have the little book for that. We must have the revealed will of God in the scriptures to know that the creator of all this is a holy God, is a just God, is a righteous God, a God full of grace, a compassionate and long-suffering God, and a God of wrath and anger. We need the little book, but the little book is given. It is here. But don't say, well, I'm not going to study the creation because that's what the world makes idols out of. No, that's how they just abused it. That's how they, did, that's how they suppress it. Do not ignore the creation of God. It is a wonderful teacher. It has many voices to listen to. Allow yourself to enjoy it. Allow yourself the ability to say, the one who made this holds me. The one who has done this protects me. The one who has designed this has me in his hand. This is what we learn, what people do with the big book. Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. The invisible attributes. I'm reading chapter, I mean, chapter 1, verse 20 from Romans. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. He says, there is a voice that's told them the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Even though they suppress this knowledge, the voice is still there, the witness is still there. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, nor give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God, immortal God, for images resembling mortal man. Now that word mortal in the King James is corruptible man. The word immortal in the King James is incorruptible. And so in other words, God, 
who cannot be corrupted, who cannot die, and then compare it to an image that does die, that does corruption, which means the part of man that's not in the image of God. Because God made man in his image. Do you see how God has said, do not make images of anything in his creation and say, that's my God. And yet man, who was created in his image, now is fallen into sin and he's marred that image. His flesh must die. Do not make a God out of the flesh of man. That's probably why the Pharisees used to say, this man has made himself God. That's blasphemy. But you see, God made man in the beginning in his image that Christ may come. I have more verses. To, just keep listening. I have more verses to read to you. They've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lust uh, of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor, uh, and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And so we can see, in the summary of this first application, this. Although the big book is effective for natural attributes, his power, the Godhead of his extreme knowledge, uh, his everywhere presence, we need the little book to understand his moral attributes. And so I'm going to continue this application in the second application. I'm going to expand it a little bit more. And that is this. We are to never to confuse the creator with the creation. But I'm going to go on a little bit more about that and go back into the idea of the image of God because it is important. Because we cannot say this is our God when we can touch it, or we can see it, or we can smell it, or we can taste it. The Apostle John even succumbed to this twice in the Apocalypse. Do you remember when he did that? Let me read it to you. You'll recognize it when I read it to you. In Revelation 19, verse 10, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So you can see even John succumbed to this. What a mighty thing he saw. What a tremendous power he saw in this angel. And so when he fell down, the angel said, you need to get up. And again in Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9, we read this. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then he said unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. And then he says this, Worship God. There we have it. We have God, we have everything else. Now we would like to read to you from the book of, of Exodus, from the covenant made with Moses, the, Moses, the Mosaic covenant, these words, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 4. And God spake all these sayings, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image 
or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Did you recognize the three pages of Spurgeon? And he says, this is the witness. The heavens, the earth, the sea, those three pages. And God says, do not take anything of them and make an image and says, that's my God. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Notice how he turns, how the Lord turns him away from the physical to the, shall we say, spiritual. Because remember what the Lord said to the woman at the well. God is spirit, and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we see that there's a great deal of instructions about making images. They are not God. They are not even like God. Remember what Art said this morning? These are images. You know, they, they, they have to nail them down to keep them from falling over. It's like, that's what they are. How can they even be compared to God? But this law contained in the covenant of Moses does this. It forbids every type of image that is physical. Anything created by man. Even when man was to make an altar to God, he couldn't lift an axe to change the shape of the stone. He had to leave it the way it was. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now let me read to you a couple of verses from Genesis. Chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And God said, Let us make man in our image. What an interesting word. How are we to imagine God? Imagine an image, a very similar word. How are we to imagine God? But he said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over the, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God made man in his own image, and the image of God created him. Male and female created them. So we can see that this is a very strong description of who a man is, that he was created after the image of God. So can we say that God looks like this? Looks like this? Looks like this? No. He has a heart. He has a soul. He's a person. I live in this tabernacle. Remember the sun has been given a tabernacle? It sits in the heavens, riding across the sky. Its hosts are the stars and the moon and everything around it. But that is a temporary place for it. This is a temporary place. Who I am is going to be placed into a body fit to be in the presence of God. Because Christ is the image of the invisible God. In Romans chapter 1, we have read how that the change of glory from uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. But let's now read, we'll go seven chapters further into Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And Paul says this, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. You see, there is an image that is not physical, 
But the image is spiritual. The image of holiness, justice, righteousness. This is the image that the Holy Spirit presses upon the soul of a man and he changes and he becomes like Christ. How? To a different appearance? No. The heart has been given life, spiritual life, life that loves holiness, righteousness, justice. Do you see that death is spiritual hatred of what is good? It loves destruction. Let me read 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And what do they see when they see the image of God? A picture? A statue? What type of image do they see? They see the glory of God. Holiness, justice, righteousness. And then when they see their sin, the opportunity and the greatness to repent and to live in the presence of God who is kind and merciful and yet just and forgiving. All these things, when justice and mercy can come together in the atonement of Christ. This is seeing God. No man can see God and live, that's what they say. Because there is nothing to see other than wrath for the sinner. But I'll tell you what, it was that burning bush that Moses said, why does this bush not be consumed? And yet Christ lived in the flesh, and yet we in Christ exist in the presence of a God, and the scripture says he is a consuming fire, a consuming fire, and yet we are not consumed in Christ. And what is the image that we see? justice and holiness something that cannot be nailed down something that cannot be formed something cannot be molded nailed to something hoisted up saluted kissed with their you know, to kiss someone's hand or their ring or their feet nothing like that colossians 1:15 who is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of every creature and colossians 3:10 and have put on their new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Knowledge. The truth. The truth by in the hands of the Holy Spirit, the means of grace. The gospel, life-giving spirit creates a life within a man. A new heart, born again, made like Christ, conformed to his image. The big book of all creation is a powerful tool, but nothing's going to beat the little book, I'll tell you that. But you, might, you cannot throw either one of them away. Let one help you with the other. Let the big book support you in embracing the little book. We must never confuse God with his creation. We must listen to the voice given to the creation to learn more about God. We must see the difference between the one who gives the message and the one who is only the messenger. Because God gives the message, but there is a messenger. I don't want you to see me. I want you to see Christ. And neither does the universe say, worship me. It says, worship the one who made me. Worship the one who designed me. I finish with this passage from Isaiah. Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 7. And listen. I am the Lord, 
and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. That people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form light. I create darkness. I make well-being. I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. He holds us in his hand. He has us as strong as the sun in the sky. As strong as a man who is on a race that is going to accomplish it. As strong as the almighty bridegroom coming for his bride. There's no better aid in understanding the scriptures than the Holy Spirit opening the understanding of how the almighty is the creator God who sovereignly reigns over all things. Go home tonight and meditate upon the greatness of our God and how he holds us in his hands. We are the apple of his eye. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray now that you would give us grace, that you would open the hearts and eyes of your people to know your great power, to know your great wisdom, to rest in your great providence, to have our eyes tonight when we close, that we might be resting in you, that we might be comforted by you, not a preamble to eternal darkness. And Father, should you see fit to wake us up tomorrow morning, may we see a day created by you and listen to everything that you have done. Marvel at your mighty works. Marvel at your greatness. And may we say to ourselves, this is the day that God wants me to serve you. This is the day. And sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And let me live this day for the glory of our mighty God. Father, give us this grace. May Christ be lifted up everywhere in your churches. May sinners be saved. May all the world say, there is the God who has made all things. Let us go repent of our sins. Let us go and worship him. May his Christ be our God. We pray these things in our Lord's name. Amen.